Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Escafil Files, a book analysis podcast where one diehard fan and one newbie start yet another podcast about Animorphs, the children's book series by K.A. Applegate. I'm Danielle, I use share the pronouns, and you can find me on the internet at redtailtalk90, and my co-host is Jade. Hello, my name's Jade, you can find me on the internet at jadeoxfordrose, and I use they, them pronouns. We've been making our way through the books, one book at a time, analyzing the themes and how they stand up to time, and sharing the experience with our friends on Discord, the link to which you can find in the show notes. Today, we have a guest, welcome back, uh, to talk about Seer Sun one more time, <laughs> Izzy. Hi, I'm Izzy, uh, I use see Seer pronouns, you can find me on the internet, places. <laughs> I'm sleepy. <laughs> and I'm here to talk about my son and be sad! Uh, today we are talking about book number 46, The Deception, uh, which is an axe book. Uh, some book-specific content warnings before we get into it. For heavy military themes, uh, discussion and description of warfare, threat of global war, uh, and threat of nuclear annihilation on both a small scale and a large scale. So, you know, strap in. Um, mm-hmm. uh, this book was ghostwritten by Elise Donner, who also wrote book number 30 and book number 37. Uh, book 30 was the Marco book, um, with him, uh, attempting to kill his mom. Um, and 37 was, uh, The Weakness, which was the one where Jake was out of town and Rachel was the leader for a book. <laughs> Uh, I feel like this book has, uh, it's kind of middle of the road for me, mostly because it has a lot of weaknesses, but also a lot of strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like a lot of the writing, uh, kind of falls down in places. There's a lot of, like, summary of action, which normally I'm all for. Like, you don't need to describe every single action your character takes. Um, But it happens a fucking lot. Yeah. Um, And, like, it's really noticeable in some places, especially because they'll, like, refer to things that happened in that skipped time that maybe could have been shown. Just Um, mentioned a little bit. Yeah. Um, I feel like this is a pretty common thing we've discussed with um, Elise Donner's books before. Mm. Like there are these things that they really excel at and are mm-hmm. really gratifying to read, but action, uh, action is like making it feel coherent or followable mm. is not a strength. Yeah, and sometimes there is a. Uh, it's like oh, and this happened. You didn't mm-hmm. see it, but it did. Mm-hmm. It's very middle of the road fanficy in that way. Because mm. um, there's some really good handle on characterization yes. for some people mm-hmm. in this book. I have a couple of major qualms where I think is a misstep personally. And I am ready to sit here and be the only one thinking as such <laughs> uh, and talk about my position. But the central thesis of this book, for me, feels like Axe is torn between his humanity and his being an Andalite. Mm-hmm. He, he's a fucking alien and everyone's now going to see him as such. Because he's the only one that could do that. And I'm like, that feels lazy. Mm. I don't like it. Especially how with so often Axe is very autistic coded. Mm. Mm-hmm. And while yeah. we're in Axe's perspective, so we know how difficult it is for him and how this isn't a thing he is doing lightly, the choices that he makes, to have that character, that character coded being the only one willing to do a truly, I say truly heinous thing, when everybody else, including the warrior and the guy who can see the clear line, are both like, Ooh, seems a little much, don't you think? I'm sat here like, this feels confused from a writing perspective. 
I'm not sure what the takeaway should be. Mm-hmm. And that, mm, the other thing I have an issue with, I say an issue with, that, that the other thing is more of a an interesting choice that I want to expand on is a comment about Jake um, that I want to talk about, but that comes up later. But yeah, for me, because there's so much good and interesting characterization for Axe in this book, like him, but there's also talk about found family, which y'all know is my jam, mm-hmm. and him talking about how he's come to feel human and be part of this human family while having this uh, tension with his own history, with the morality he grew up with. And even if, as he says in the book, like he's doing this so the others don't have to, that's a little bit like mm, the other one is going to be the one to do that because mm-hmm. they're already on the outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels bad. I mean, I, yeah, I suppose it is a refreshing change from it not being the one person of color in the core group who is the one willing to do the sacrifice play, even if it is in the moral sense rather than the physical sense. But it's still um, like a minority being thrown under the bus for this sort of thing. Exactly. Um, There's also, I think, a good discussion to be had where it's like, uh, we also get in a lot of stories the kind of like, quote-unquote, white savior thing. mm. So like, if Jake had done something like this, it could have gone in a different direction of, uh, don't, don't feel good about that either. Yeah, I mean, one could this argue... This is also a lose-lose situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to, to, to stir the pot a little, because it's fun to do so. Mm-hmm. Axe as the lone andalite doing the hard thing to save a bunch of humans is the white saviour trope. It's just fucking Avatar inverted. It's the one blue mm, person fuck. saving all the non-blue people. Fuck. Again, <sighs> it's falling into tropes. I don't think intentionally... Like, every characterization we've had of Axe as being the soldier who now views himself as a warrior, doing a thing so his prince doesn't have to. Though, interesting enough, that feels like a very human by way of Andalite thinking Mm -hmm. decision. Because every Andalite we've seen has been very big, for the most part, on, like, respecting the chain of command. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's seen as a bad thing if an Andalite knocks out their superior officer. <laughs> I mean, technically, it's a bad thing if a human does it too. <laughs> yeah, that. But in terms of the structure, is yes. what I mean. Yes, and so that's what I mean by it's a very andalite through the filter of human, or human through the filter of andalite way of handling a problem. And throughout the book, and it's one of the things I find interesting about this book is Axe talking about his more human impulses, how he's gotten so much better at reading human facial expressions. And I think uh, Shrug in the in the discussion mentioned about the use of rhetorical questions. Yes. And Axe's mm-hmm. complete awareness now of mm-hmm. what is a rhetorical question and what isn't and the choice to answer or not answer them. Yeah. This whole book feels like, see, look how much Axe has grown. He's grown into this guy. Doesn't that suck? Isn't war bad? Like, yeah, we we don't know war is bad. We've been reading the same books. You didn't have to make it more explicit. I mean, like, I don't think I minded it nearly as much as y'all did. um, Mm -hmm. Mostly because it... The way that it read to me was very much mm. a, uh, I am, I feel extremely connected to these humans. I feel like these humans are mm. my people in a lot of ways. Um, we have seen him explicitly say, you know, anyone who fights for freedom is his people. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, and him recognizing in him because at first he goes to jake and he you know he he expects and we'll get into it um and he Mm -hmm. realizes that in asking jake he is putting a 
insurmountable weight on Jake. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, not only is it Jake's people, but it's also the place where Jake grew up and where literally everybody he knows lives. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, he recognizes that and then decides that he doesn't want to put that weight on Jake. Mm. And in doing so, he recognizes that this, this is in many ways him succumbing to the, the kind of practices and, uh, traditions almost, um, mm-hmm. that he so despises in Andalite culture. And I don't think, mm. I don't think it's treated well. Like, I don't, I don't think it's like, it's definitely not treated as a good thing by the narrative or acts that mm. like he is taking up this mantle that so many other Andalites have worn. Right. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, uh, to be clear, I think for sure that that I think is the, is the intent. Mm-hmm. I just feel like there is this interpretation there that, maybe wasn't considered mm-hmm. in the same way that the books often falter um, with their choice to have a colorblind casting. It's not exactly yeah. the same situation, but rather the implications that fall out from it because it maybe wasn't f- fully realized or fully thought out. And it then undercuts, I think, what it makes the, st- the story and the characterization weaker for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the same way that uh, there's a section in the book uh, with Cassie voicing an objection, and if they just put a couple of bits of text in a different order, mm-hmm. it wouldn't feel quite so rancid. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. this is what I'm talking about. Like, that's where some of the writing fails, and it lets down the interesting stuff that's happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't land as well as it should have because it was executed... I don't want to say poorly, but less than optimally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think there is absolutely um, something there with how heavily uh, autistic coded that axe is. And then, like, he's the one to make the practical, emotionless decision. Um, like you said, like, it's definitely it's very, there. Um, it's very Spock being the one to sacrifice himself in, what is it, Star Trek 2? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm here invoking the big guns. Don't think I won't. <laughs> it's my job on this podcast is referencing other fictional uh, properties and go, hey, it's a bit like this bit. And this. Why would you do this to me? Why would you make uh, me more sad about my son? Because I like to inflict suffering on my friends through the medium of media analysis. Suffering as a team sport. We. Uh, we should dive into this book so people know what the fuck we're talking about. Yes. Yeah, let's um. get into some specifics. <laughs> it's fine. The book's not that long. And it's, I think the, a lot of the, unless we're literally doing breakdowns of all the action scenes, it's not going to take us too long to get yeah. the plot yeah. covered. But yes, please. Uh, so this book picks up immediately where the last book left off. Um, which is with the Animorphs huddled on a beach around the Z-Space transponder that Axe and Marco's dad built. Um, and, uh, calling the Andalite fleet. Um, unfortunately, it goes about as well as you would expect. Um, the, they, like, they try to talk to the Andalites. The Andalites are like, yeah, we know what the fuck is going on on Earth. You can't trick us to try to get us to come to you. Like, Everybody like, that's not what we're doing. Um, and, like, the Animorphs try to give them information to, like, prove that, you know, this is legit. Um, they tell them about the, the Anadi system and how it is a trap laid for the Andalites and like, hey, don't send your forces there. They're going to be slaughtered. Um, and uh, <laughs> and um, 
eventually, like, Jake is talking all of this, and then Axe steps up, um, because Jake isn't really getting anywhere, because this, this Andalite is barely letting him speak. Like, he's interrupting him all over the place. It's awful. Um, and Axe steps up, and he's like, uh, look, I'm Elfangor's little brother. What my prince says is correct. Um, our source for this information is none other than Visser 1. Um, hey, also, we killed Visser 1. So, you know, give us something here. We we done did a really important thing. And the fucking... This the fucking bitch. Andalites are like, eh, we'll, we'll think about it. Uh, but, in our opinion, and given his record, uh, it's possible that Aximili has confused his loyalties. <laughs> and Ax is like, Excuse you? <laughs> um, and then bug fighters show up and they have to uh, scrap everything and run. I am, when shit like this happens, I am constantly reminded of what happened in a much, much earlier book about the mention that the Andalites have been compromised. Mm. Mm. Constantly reminded. And it's just like, is this part of that? Or is, is this the Andalites being shitty? Is it both? <laughs> I mean, it's probably both. Por que no los dos? <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, they, everyone scrambles. Um, Axe takes the transponder, um, and they get out of there. Uh, that, that's it. <laughs> um, and then we kind of get the, the standard introduction. My name is Aximili Escaruth is still, um, I don't know if we've had the names of his parents before. I don't think so. I feel like I would have remembered. Uh, son of Norlin Cyrenil Korat and Forle Iskaroth Mahin, younger brother of celebrated war prince Elfangor Cyrenil Shamtul. Um, an artist, a cadet, a warrior in training. <laughs> um, but my existence in the group of humans that calls itself the Animorphs has, I believe, qualified me as a full warrior an experienced fighter. Which is just... <laughs> it's beautiful, and also very sad. It's like, no, my son! And this is, the, this is one of two instances that I can think of off the top of my head in this book where, like, these kids are calling themselves, like, experienced sh soldiers, and they're not wrong. They're oh, not, man. and it, it hurts me deeply. Yeah. And it started mm -hmm. in the last book, and the mm -hmm. way Marco talks to his dad as well. Mm -hmm. Just like, mm -hmm. now we are the experienced fighters in this war. But the fact that in this book, we're going to see them around. And granted, American military, like many other militaries, yeah, these are like 18, 19, early 20-year-olds. Granted, I don't know much about how uh, aircraft carriers tend to have personnel but who are inexperienced yeah who haven't necessarily seen um like been on the front line of a conflict mm -hmm. shout out i want to say i know we're not there yet but i do want to give a shout out to the people on this aircraft carrier who were <laughs> like well those are clearly the bad guys so i'm gonna salute the gorilla and fight with the tiger because <laughs> yep. i know what a tiger is <laughs> I know what a gorilla like, is, I know what a tiger is, I know what a wolf is, I know what a grizzly bear is. I don't know yeah, what that yeah. is, but it doesn't seem to be fighting the animals that I know what they are. So that's mm -hmm. probably also good. Mm -hmm. That shit is not <laughs> yeah, good, you could pointing look, at a hork for sure. If you squint at an andalite, you might go, that's a funky looking deer. But, um, especially if you don't see the tail blade. Um, whereas a Hawkbusher you look at and just like, that's a very tall thing covered with sharp things. Mm -hmm. It's Listen, part from, of what makes... If you're from mm -hmm. Appalachia, you just look at an Andalite and you go, I think I've seen that before. In a different color, color, but deer. I think I've seen that before. <laughs> but um, that is an interesting, just a little chapter, a detail in this book that I very much did enjoy. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, so we are at Axis Scoop. Uh, where he and Tobias and Marco are hanging out watching television. Um, Team Scoop is here. 
I love them dearly. <laughs> so you call them Team Scoop, and rightly so. I'm just here just like, it's the OG Scoop Troop. Because scoop Troop, Scoop Troop. I love season three <laughs> of Stranger Things <laughs> very much. Um, <laughs> scoop Troop forever. Um, but it makes me go, yeah, Axe, Tobias, and Marco definitely would vibe. No, I just want to. I'm going to write the crossover in my head. I'm sorry. I'm done for the day. I now need to think about uh, Steve Harrington and Robin Buckley working with the Animorphs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and being very distressed about these other kids. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Steve would want to help the Animorphs so much. He's such a babysitter. <laughs> We've I'm lost sorry. Jade. We're never finishing no, this I'm podcast. Sorry. It's fine. It's fine. The kids are in the scoop. It's great. The kids are in the scoop. They're watching television. And uh, Axe points out um, that, like, Marco is cranky. <laughs> um, and he's, he's <laughs> That's an understatement. Yeah. He's, he's anticipating that any moment now, Marco is going to uh, fucking talk about what, what's bothering him. Um. He knows he's his boyfriend so, real well. Exactly. Yeah. I was just about to say, he's gotten so much better at reading his boyfriend. Um, we get the introduction to <clears throat> the uh, the human thing for this book, which is rhetorical questions. Um, Marco stood and tossed the device onto the seat of the chair. You know what really gets me? He said, I did not reply. I have long ago learned that humans often ask what are known as rhetorical questions. When they ask such questions, they do not really want or need you to answer. They are prepared to answer for you. I'll tell you what really gets me, Marco said, pacing. (laughs) Immediately proving Axe right. (laughs) Um, Here we are, six semi-freaks busting our butts trying to prevent a full-scale alien invasion of Earth, and I bet you dollars to donuts. (laughs) Tobias fucking ribs him for his choice of analogy. Uh, I bet a million bucks if I had that if if I had it that the if the average guy on the street was told that he'd better get ready, there's going to be a major war. He'd just laugh. He wouldn't even believe a full scale war was possible anymore. The average person is too content. Um, and it couldn't be written in 2023. Oh God, the fucking yeah. the amount of times reading this that I had to stop. Put my head in my hands and go, boy, this was written pre-9-11, huh? Mm-hmm. The number of times I did that last night was too many. I had to stop multiple times, like, oh my god. There was an entire point, where, because I was talking to Philo for a little bit while I was reading this, where I was just like, I had to read out a section of it to Philo, like, huh? <laughs> I actually think it was this bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, basically they're discussing, like, humanity isn't ready for war, um, and maybe, maybe it's just this country, uh, which I do appreciate that they, uh, (laughs) they pin it on the U.S. Um, uh, they're like, yeah, like, we've, we've gotten really complacent, we don't really have any enemies, uh, since the Soviet Union collapsed. Which is... A lie, but they don't know that. They're children. Exactly. And those files haven't been released yet. Exactly. Um, and, you know, they're, they're feeling pretty defeatist about it in general. Um, and then the Z-Space transponder goes off. This thing, uh, as we learned last time, is acting as a kind of police scanner for them um, that... It doesn't always translate real well. They can't always get a full uh, 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 transmission. Um, but they get bits and pieces, and sometimes that's enough to act on. Yeah, I'll give them credit, because Kel's one picks up much better messages but doesn't translate, so I guess <laughs> I'll give them a par. <laughs> give them that just a little bit. Yep. Look, there's a couple of moments in this book, obviously because it's an axe book, um, so it's the technician, it's technician forward, uh, where I was like, that's such a dodgy thing to do. That was such a cool thing to do. Oh, I love these characters that we have made, and how once again we're paralleling the books without knowing. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. And Danielle never said a word. <laughs> Beyond They're just so making powerful. sad noises. Uh-huh. 
Um, I do um, like the detail that the computer he's using for all of this is a, a new Apple laptop. One we of get, the lime green ones. Yeah, it's we one get of the, the detail classic. later. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm, I appreciate. Those were just mwah, delicious looking. I loved them. We need to go I back also, to the time of clear plastic. I'm also going to look this up. Apparently, uh, this was purchased with Rachel's credit card allowance. Uh, mm-hmm. Axe owes her big. How Several good is her credit? Worth. Yeah, but still, how good is her credit card allowance? If it's only I mean, several... considering the amount of shopping she does. But that's what I mean. Like this, just how rich are these kids? I mean, like, her dad this... is a famous news anchor, and her mom is a lawyer. Yeah. But I'm this just like getting struck the, by like, 2008 mid- recession. But yeah. I know, I know. But my brain just went like having a credit card allowance and stuff. Like I'm very, I grew up very working yeah. class. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So no, my, Rachel my and brain, Jake are I definitely feel. loaded. Yeah. <laughs> and to be fair, I feel like the uh, Cassie's family kind of are, given the size yeah. of their property and where they are and the amount of land they have, considering. That they're yeah. in California. I mean, I think I remember Me. them saying that they inherited that land. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So it might not have been as expensive for them to purchase. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. but they do run like an at home, like, mm-hmm. vet business. Yeah. Mm. Like a rehabilitation clinic is fucking expensive, even with a sponsorship. And also, mm-hmm. like, her dad doesn't really do work for money. Mm-hmm. Um, her mom does all the work. And zoos don't pay that much. Right. They probably pay their vets more than their keepers. Actually, fuck it. I've been playing Holy so much play at zoo recently. Guys, those fucking G3 IMAX retail for $1,300 in 2001. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. Oh, I, do you want to hear some see- stats? Four gig mm. hard drive, thirty-two Ooh. megabytes of RAM, two megabyte video RAM. Mm. Oof. <laughs> Delicious. How time runs on. Oh, back when Apple computers actually had CD-ROM drives. <laughs> Simpler time. Uh, yeah. Uh, the uh... fuck. I was just gonna say something. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure we heard that her dad gives her that credit card and. He's guilty about not only mm. being divorced from her mom, but also from moving across the country. So he probably puts a high limit on that credit card. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, Cassie's family is definitely well off. Jake and Rachel are, uh, low key loaded. Uh, it, and Marco's, Marco's family, when his dad is working, is mm. like does really well. Um, I am now wondering, just as a fun little nod, if the choice one because I appreciate uh, they're visually recognizable, but I wonder if the choice to have the name check of an Apple computer is a reference to Independence Day. Uh well, you know what? Fucking <laughs> Christ! I feel like Marco made an Independence Day reference last book. Um, well, there we go. You know, so, if you want to hack alien software, you need a Mac. <laughs> if movies have taught us anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, anyway, they get a message on the, <laughs> on the Z-Space transponder um, that's like, uh, again, the Council of Thirteen commends Visser 2 on his propose- proposed plan, which we have designated Operation 9466 Phase 1. Pending final approval from Visser 1, the council orders Visser 2 to proceed as, and it kind of garbles. Um, now, we know that Visser 1, uh, in the form of Idris, uh, is dead. Uh, so someone has been promoted. Uh, we learn who it is in the next chapter. Um, but I'll give you three guesses who is now Visser 1. Uh, and but before they learn that, <laughs> <laughs> but before they learn that, um, basically, Axe is lamenting the fact that this tiny computer has very low processing power. Well, f- first he laments that human technology has very low processing power, and Marco is like, "Yeah, 
like, it's not just human technology. Like, it's mostly that you're working on, like, a layperson's laptop that has, what, what did you say, two megabytes of RAM? Mm-hmm. Um, and, <laughs> and, uh, Marco suggests that Axe instead, uh, hack into the NSA to w- use their, uh, computer system an um, idea that definitely is said jokingly at first <laughs> there is the vibe that he's like i because f- then when axe is like yeah no that's a great idea mark was like that's super illegal my guy we should <laughs> not do that we we shouldn't do that axe is like but why not <laughs> yeah didn't you just say in the last book because axe would absolutely know to refer it to that as a Mm-hmm. The time for doing the uh, morally right thing, uh, the thing is over. It's now time to do the questionable thing and apologize afterwards mm-hmm. or make amends afterwards. Yeah. Uh, and it, Axe does it with little problem. And so with, easy. With I- the increased <laughs> processing power, uh, they're able to decrypt like the, the rest of the message that they didn't hear. Um, Part and of me it went- says, the newly appointed Visser 1, recently Visser 3, current leader of the Yerk mission on planet Earth, has approved Operation 9466. Visser 2 has undertaken a journey to Earth to assist in the execution of this long-anticipated military action. Uh, they wanted to make it explicitly clear. <laughs> and Visser 3 is now Visser 1. <laughs> um... Uh, part of me without like I know that Axe is very good at hacking and stuff but part of me also feels like him getting through the NSA was maybe a little too easy it felt very like as I was reading it uh, like Chekhov's gun mm. like I I even made a comment in the document did Chekhov's gun just cock because like that's what it felt like reading it mm-hmm. uh I mean, he... Like, he's very good at hacking. He is he's... on an iMac. Yes, but, like, he saw uh, Peter's extremely complicated code many, many books ago and thought it was a literal children's game. Um, I think it's something to do with the, his ease at which he... Because he's aware that they're trying to stop him at one point. Yes. He's just able to circumvent... Mm-hmm. I took it to, to circumvent their security measures, but I always just took it as just like the way hand waving is always mm-hmm. the way hacking is always this is hand also waved. True. <laughs> because people write about a thing they don't understand yeah. <laughs> all the time. Uh, I think it was like, the oh, way yeah. that it was written. Hold on. It's very flippant. Mm-hmm. I, I, I get mm-hmm. what you mean. Like, oh, is this a ploy? Uh, yeah. Should it have been that easy? But I think it is just meant to be Axe is that good. Yeah. and But, like, uh, I see what you're saying, and I think part of it is that writing quirk that I mentioned earlier, where it's just like, yeah, and then mm-hmm. I hacked into the NSA. <laughs> I, it was the way that Axe said, the NSA has stopped blocking me, and that is what was like... That's a weird way to say that. <laughs> I know, because I think it's just like the NSA are attempting to block me. They are no longer blocking me, is how I read it. Yeah. It is that. But no, I appreciate, like, like Danielle was just saying, it happens throughout this book. It's just sort of like a lot of like writing shortcuts. We don't get the nitty gritty details. We're just like, you don't need to know how we got from A to B. Just enjoy the fact that we're a B. Mm -hmm. But the journey. Well, apparently uh, some people do not respect the journey. Yeah. Mm. And like I said, like, I think I reblogged something on Tumblr not too long ago. That's like, don't be afraid to summarize shit. Um, because the, the way that you're writing things should, uh, be able to advertise to your reader that certain things have happened. Um, like, uh, I think the example given was about like someone opening the door to a visitor and asking if anybody followed them and then letting them into the the house to go to the kitchen or something like that. And it's like, you don't need to list every single step of that, of like 
them walking into the house and then going over to the kitchen and then going over to the stove and then like lifting the the lid on the pot in order to check what's there. Like you can just that post absolutely had me second guessing my writing stuff. I was like, do I describe too much? And then they gave the example and I was like, that's how I write. And then just like, you could make it much worse than this and you shouldn't. I was like, oh, I'm fine. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. Um, I had, I had a similar reaction to it. I was like, I would, cause I disagreed with a lot of the things that they crossed out. <laughs> like, oh, you mm-hmm. don't need this here. And I was like, eh, but it does serve a purpose there. Like it does, it is doing something. But yes, um, there's, there's economy of language versus giving enough information. Yes. Without it feeling confusing. Yes. Like, let me tell you, part of it is to, is to do with the speed that I can read. Mm-hmm. I got very lost in the source about Visa 2 not being Visa 3 for a while. I thought it was Visa 3's and I make my eye clearly skimmed. Mm-hmm. And then the characterization is like, oh, no, wait, went back. Oh, my bad. Mm-hmm. But again, a quirk of the writing. I think it's easy for details to get lost or missed. Yeah. Um, we cut to the barn. The Animorphs are like, all right, so what do we do about this? And what does it mean? Um, and Marco points out that essentially the Yerks are moving forward because they're afraid that the Andalite fleet is going to get here. And they're afraid that humans will pull some kind of resistance together. Um, a fair thing to be afraid of, honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, Marco's saying, like, they're going to push for all-out war, they're going to push for just large-scale destruction, because they don't need everybody on Earth. There are seven billion people on this planet. One billion would be more than enough. Um, and uh, basically, they're all just thinking, like, this is this is getting really big, and if it goes in that direction, then there's fuck all we can do because we're f- six people um mm-hmm. their strength lies in this guerrilla warfare against uh a, a force that is trying to be secretive mm-hmm. um and uh <laughs> jake turns pointedly to axe and is like axe in your honest opinion uh do you think that help is coming. And Jade, I think you wanted to read out a, a portion mm. of this. Yeah. Um, um, what could I say? To answer such a question with a yes or a no would cast suspicion on my loyalty to my people, the Andalites and the humans. If the Andalite fleet had chosen to ignore our warnings and had moved to the Anadi system, one of the new Visa One's conditions for all-out war had been met. We were in a situation of maximum danger. One of my peoples had betrayed the other. In spite of my admiration, and yes, affection for humans, I have always hoped my future would be on the home planet, with my parents, perhaps even Astrid Kareldarath and a family of my own. And yet, my experience with my birth people since being stranded on planet Earth has been complex, less than 100% satisfactory. Now the chance of ever returning and being welcomed with open arms seemed even smaller, particularly after the stinging words of doubt spoken by the anonymous Andalite officer. Axe? But it was not as if my experience with humans and their culture had been without disappointment. I had been saddened by human behaviour, disgusted even, by their incomprehensible violence towards one another. Once we had been forced to chase Vissa Four through history in order to retrieve the Time Matrix to prevent the dawning of a world even more frightening than any horrible time that had come before. Before that strange journey through centuries past, I thought I had come to understand humans. But as horrible scenes of carnage and terror unfolded before my eyes, I realised that I knew very little about human beings. They could be insane, hate-filled creatures. I could make no sense of the outrageous violence, of the mindless killing. And it frightened me. But I had made friends. We were our own family, and this was still our fight. I was Andalite, and in a way, I was human. 
Axe, do you think the Andalites are coming? I do not know, Prince Jake, I said, my eyes solemn. I honestly do not know. So I die. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I'm dead. Um, I'm capable of emotions. I'm dead. <laughs> Bye. This is my ghost now. Mm-hmm. I'd like to welcome Izzy's ghost to the podcast. <laughs> I'm here. Hello. I've died. My body's just on the floor. Mm. But yeah, this is the duality we were talking about. This mm-hmm. is Axe feeling connected to both Andalite and human culture, considering himself both and being disgusted by both. Mm-hmm. Poor kid is in a lose-lose situation either way while being felt like he's being torn between these two aspects of himself. Yeah. Yeah. There's literally no way for him to win. Um, and cat with with that pronunciation uh, pronouncement by mm. Axe, um, Jake is like, "All right, well, we're on our own then. Cool, great." Um, I and... do appreciate he draws that line in the sand. So like, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. the Axe want Earth. Well, they can't have it. Um, they share these strings of numbers that were part of the transmission as well. Um, Jake clocks them as longitude and latitude, um, that are thousands of miles out to sea, but each site only 20 miles apart from one another. Um, and Rachel clocks the other parts of the numbers as dates and times that day uh seven and then nine hours from this meeting that they're having. So something big is happening a thousand miles out to sea in seven hours. Um and uh Jake's like, well we can't do anything until we have more information because we don't like we don't know what to do. Um we don't have any leads to go on. Um and Cassie asks, like, how the fuck do we get that far out to sea in less than seven hours? No morph is going to make it. Uh, there was another heavy silence. I turned my main eyes toward Jake. It is a huge responsibility for a young person, human or Andalite, to be a leader. Finally, Jake spoke. His eyes were dull, but his voice was firm. Things are different, he said. From now on, we take what we need. We do what we have to do, no matter what the consequences. Jake, Cassie began, there's only one morph that will get us thousands of miles out to sea in the time we have left, he added. Human. Yes, Rachel thrust a fist in the air. Her face gleamed with pleasure. Finally, extreme yerk, butt kicking. I did not express my opinion on the matter. Cassie spoke again. Jake, everyone, come on. We've gotten this far without totally losing it, by following the rules of basic humanity. No one can deny that. I'm not denying it, Marco said coldly, but Jake's right. Things have changed. We can't be asking anymore whether something's right or wrong. We really need to start asking whether it's expedient. Whoa, Rachel grinned. Big word. You see what I mean by humans being an odd species? Self-contradictory, yet successful able to advance their civilization while engaging in continuous ethical debate. Jake took Cassie's hands in his own. I noticed Tobias turn slightly away. Cassie, I'd never ask you to do something you don't want to, Jake said softly, or can't. But here's the thing. I think our assumptions are right. I think Visser 1 is about to launch open war. Entire cities might be incinerated. Whole countries. Maybe, just maybe, if we strike now, if we do everything we possibly can, maybe we can keep that from happening. He smiled sadly. I'm not sure I could live with myself if we didn't do all that we could. Billions of lives weighed against the ethics of six kids. And I'm not sure I could live with myself if we did, Cassie answered softly. Jake, there's always a reason to abandon morality. We've been through this so many times. 
Someone's always saying, forget about right or wrong, we've got to win. I know, I know. Jake squeezed Cassie's hands. But doesn't it always come down to each one of us, all alone, asking ourselves, am I do, am I right in doing whatever it takes for the greater good? And, do I trust myself enough to know I won't become evil in the process? It always comes down to something that personal. Or the situation, I thought, or the special circumstances, a morality of convenience, not unlike Andalite morality. The thought was troubling. Cassie smiled. It was not a happy smile, but it seemed to portray a genuine emotion. If there's one person I trust to keep his decency, it's you, Jake. Marco folded his arms, nodded at Rachel. You were not so sure of. Rachel made a rude gesture with her hand. A rustling of feathers. Moving on, how exactly do we travel a thousand miles in a few short hours? Easy bird boy, military jet. A half hour to the Air Force Base, maybe a bit more to snag a plane, then full speed ahead. Jake pulled away from Cassie. Okay, he said, clearing his throat. Let's go. Uh, There's some stuff to unpack here. There's so much to unpack here. I can't... I mean, I can believe it because I know what's coming, but I can't believe that Jake straight out and almost said word for word the the thing we heard Rachel describe as the first four word the first four words on the road to hell, the first four steps. Um, in book twenty two, uh, I believe it's twenty two. She talks about how you know even you know she may be all gung ho a warrior, but even she knows that the first four words on the road to hell are, we have to win. Uh, And here we have Jake saying, we do what we have to do, no matter what the consequences. And that is so scary. Mm -hmm. That is... They've reached this point now, and it's just like, oh, shit's Mm -hmm. fucked, shit's fucked. And it's like, I don't really blame them. No, I don't either. But, like, it's, it's... terrifying um Mm -hmm. and and then we get cassie's um uh uh protestation um and as jade kind of uh lampshaded earlier it's i really don't like how it's ordered in this section of writing yeah, they um, could have moved the line about one morph that will get us thousands of miles out to sea in the time we have left human after yeah. this. Because then yeah. it, we could have literally gone to uh, to Tobias's line of, mm-hmm. what is mm-hmm. it? Um, so how do we, moving on, how yes. do we travel a thousand miles with the one morph we have left? Yes. Human. Yes. It would, it would make way more sense if you just moved that one line at, to the uh-huh. end of the chapter, because even Rachel's comment seems out of order, uh-huh. because she's like, finally extreme yerk butt kicking, and that's, as it's written, it seems like it's in response to, oh, oh let's human. morph human, and like, uh, like, weird, feels bad. So the version uh-huh. of this book that exists in my head, that line is just at the bottom, and then this uh-huh. reads how I think it's intended to read, which is Cassie being like, whoa, you just said something that's really fucking scary. Jake, mm-hmm. what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, it's just so much more powerful mm-hmm. in that way, because... because-, because- then you're not clouded by, oh, is this Cassie's weird thing about morphing human again? Yes, exactly. If she didn't have the priors for doing that, like being written that way, I should say, it would maybe feel less of a, oh, that's what she's doing here. Or that's what's, I should say, prompting it rather than Jake saying, we do what we have to do. Yeah, I definitely reading it. Which is what she is objecting to. Yeah. To be clear. Reading it the like. I had to read it a couple of times because, like, the first time it was like this. It definitely, absolutely read as Cassie being like, "We should not morph human. Mm-hmm. We no, we shouldn't do that." And then it's like reading it again, and also like, uh, just listening to discuss. It's like, no, that's that's not what she's saying this time. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, because you could also, if you're being charitable, if it wasn't the phrasing, uh, the only morph that makes sense, or just we are, we go human, just like, well, go as ourselves, have our faces out there. Mm. Are we sure we're ready? to? Because that's the point of no return. Mm-hmm. But that's not what has been written, right? to be clear. Yeah. But um, if we discount that odd, and I do think that was, God, again, we should have added to the drinking list every time we said this book needed another Reddit pass. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it did. But um, all the stuff that Cassie is saying actually feels like good Cassie writing. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. It lines up with everything we've experienced from her. It makes sense for her journey mm-hmm. about her being the one like, well, no, we can't lose sight of that. Mm-hmm. We can't be all gun ho about it. Yeah. Um, but I really do have to highlight something. <laughs> was it your reaction in the document was uh, just a lot of the letter A capitalized? <laughs> Um, so specifically the line if there's one person I trust to keep his decency it's you Jake and I (laughs) die okay I need to know why you die and then I'm going to get on my soapbox (laughs) and brace myself uh, for Bella (laughs) Uh, so Jake has Jake has shown himself to be willing to make decisions that he thinks are for the greater good um like with the best of intentions um and he's willing to just bury himself in dirt in order to try to win the war. Um, He's willing to not be the decent person. Exactly. Um, And he's shown that in uh, certain decisions that he makes. He's shown it recently in books where he's like, uh, the one where he, it's 41, where they have the really gnarly fight and he tells uh, acts to shut the door before Marco and Rachel get out. Um, Like, he's willing to make those decisions because, one, he knows that he has to as the leader. Um, And, two, because he constantly is aware of the stakes. Um, And, like, he's, he's the one who takes on that burden so that the others don't have to um and will will make the hard impossible ugly choices so that the others don't have to um and that Cassie Just, just this moment of Cassie, like, smiling at him, not in a happy way, being like, if there's one person I trust to keep his decency, it's you, sounds way more like someone trying to convince themselves than mm. a statement of fact. Uh, and I know where things go from here. <laughs> Okay, so, so actually you you and I are on a very similar page then, as yeah. we so often are. <laughs> because either in that moment, Cassie is trying to convince him or her. And the two options here, and what this runs the risk of, is one, she is um, unaware or deluded. Deluding feels like such a strong word, but is choosing to perceive things in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Or it's valorizing. Because mm-hmm. um, the first time I read it, I took this as Marco nods in agreement, but he doesn't. He just crosses his arms and then nods at Rachel. 
So I like that Marco isn't agreeing here. And there Mm -hmm. becomes this whole interesting thing, and we've discussed this before, about how the kids, and Marco especially, holds the weight of being like, of saying Jake should be the leader. Mm -hmm. And knowing what his friend is doing and becoming. And there's just this whole interesting thing about decency as a concept. And we've talked about this before with like morality, right and wrong. And just by telling Jake, no, you're still a good guy. You're the best guy. You're the best of us. It's like, who are you trying to convince Jake is interesting as a character because he's having to do all of these shitty things. We've talked before about what makes the push and pull so interesting is what makes you a bad person. Thinking of the thing, doing the thing, asking someone else to do the thing, indirectly saying something so somebody else will volunteer to do the thing so you don't have to ask them to do the shitty thing that somebody else thought of. They're all complicit with each other in a way that is incredibly distressing when you think about it Mm -hmm. Um, because this is a war story each of them enables each other Mm -hmm. and because they're all complicit in it they can't call each other out Mm -hmm. because if one person wasn't doing their part another person wouldn't do theirs which makes the fact that Rachel's awareness of particularly Cassie, but also Jake's view of her mm-hmm. sucks because she knows I you need me to be this person. You don't get to judge me for it mm-hmm. because I'm willing to do it. That's not fair because I'm not judging you. Mm-hmm. Except as we dive into it deep down, they're all judging each other for it. Deep down, they all have these thoughts about each other. Mm-hmm. And whether it's a negative or a positive or it's a thing that they are upset about, they all see what's happened to each other and to themselves. Yeah. And I don't know how this is, but uh, I think in the world, none of these people would be friends with each other afterwards or they would become inextricably linked and horrifyingly codependent for the rest of their existences of hunger games vibes big hunger games vibes big fucking katniss and peter at the end of the last book yes they've gone through something together and like they don't like themselves or each other afterwards but no one else can understand what they went through Mm -hmm. and so it's it's who else do they have Mm. which is painful to think about and the danielle silence sure is loud yeah but um, so Danielle can compose themselves and resist the urge to scream because once again, I'm doing that thing where I skirt along the edge of the truth and no <laughs> response can be given um, or or like a dismissal can be given for the sake of swallows. And I love and respect their strength. Same. They're stronger than me. Um, yeah. But I'm glad I had time to not react because my first initial response, and I'm really glad Danielle went first explaining, like, is Cassie, Cassie, the way Cassie is written as saying this sounds like she's trying to convince herself. Because my response to, if there's one person I trust to keep his decency, it's you, Jake, was to pull out a soapbox and go, excuse me, Jake is the decent one in this group? (laughs) Excuse? Because he makes the choices, because he gets down in the dirt, because he doesn't think of himself as a decent person. He hopes he is. He desperately wants to be in the right, because otherwise what he's doing is unforgivable. So I'm glad that I didn't embarrass myself by saying that and get sniped (laughs) by Bella for bad-mouthing her boy. Um, (laughs) To be fair, I like that aspect. Yeah. I love that Jake is written as this complex, deeply flawed person. Uh, And in this book especially, we get some hella autistic Jake vibes. Just like, yes. Mm. Mm, Yes, info dump about your special interests. I hate (laughs) that it's military stuff, but yes, go. Yeah. Look, if I go back in and start thinking about autistic Jake from the start, I'm going to get very emotional. Mm-hmm. So, 
That's yep. a whole other thing. Um, but it's such an interesting little window into the group dynamic, that little mm -hmm. uh, exchange. And I'm so glad that it capped it off with Rachel giving Marco the finger because that's just... Yeah. <laughs> I always, especially younger characters. Yep. It's just something so visceral about flipping the bird and so simple, which is mm -hmm. why I often describe my characters doing it. <laughs> uh, if you've listened to any of the actual play that I do, I can name most of my characters have probably flipped somebody off. It's because good as the thing. It is good as the thing. Um, but again, it's the one of the closest instances to Rachel getting a safe hug. We all know we're giving somebody the finger means. That's why you got in trouble for doing it at school. It's like, yep. you don't do that in school. Or at yep. least that was what we, we got. You got in so much trouble at my like primary and secondary school if you were caught doing that. <laughs> but, uh, but why, miss? Why? It's just a gesture. What does it mean? <laughs> Knowing full well what it means because mm -hmm. kids are great. Or you would do like the, the uh, back when we were all like shitty and actually like listen to Dane Cook's comedy routines do the fucking like three fingers and your I'll teachers couldn't get mad at you <laughs> yeah read between the lines um kids yeah. anyway I am very upset about these children having yep. to do these horrible horrible things yep um so let us step away from the deep emotional trauma because now it's for fun, happy, sneak onto an airbase and steal a jet, making it look like a piece of piss. Yeah. Much like Axe hacking the NSA. Mm -hmm. Turns out you can just walk into a fucking military base changing room. Did you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's weird. Um, they, they get into the space, um, <laughs> I wrote in my document, they rolled really well in this engagement roll. Super well. <laughs> you are past the first Incredible. obstacle and in a controlled position. <laughs> Don't describe the approach, yeah. just, just describe the moment when the action starts. <laughs> yeah, uh, we um, literally cut to Axe in, like, a pit, like, there's these two, like, um, personnel just chatting who get distracted by the clip-clop sound. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And actually just like, hello, humans, knocks one of them out with a tail blade uh, on mm -hmm. seeing him. And the uh, female pilot of these two pilots is clearly yoked because she recognizes him as an Andalite. Um, and is it Marco knocks her out? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we get the fun detail of, oh, it's fine. You're just knocking people out. That doesn't cause any problems in the long run. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, the others were fleas. Just like, don't hit people in the head. Definitely don't. Concussions uh, are bad. I mean, it is it is a entrenched action trope. Absolutely. Um, but but yeah, there's a, as I've said before, there's a reason they don't show headbutts in kids' movies. Mm. Um, and why if you have more than one, it kicks the rating up. Mm. Because it's an easily duplicated behavior that is very dangerous. Right. So. Huh. It's why uh, uh, there's only one headbutt in Lord of the Rings. Huh. Um. So yeah, they they Axe and Rachel acquire these two uh, airmen, um, and uh, it's implied that like Axe is morphing human because he's the only one of them that can fly a jet. Rachel is the other one because she has quote unquote nerves of steel, um, which I think is hilarious. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, to be fair, my understanding of what flying at like max speed is intense mm -hmm. as hell. Mm -hmm. Well, but it's also, also like, as he pointed out in our document, these are also the two people who are used to morphing human the most. Yeah. Like, Cassie has more, like, as Daniel pointed out, Cassie has also morphed human, but like, Axe especially has done it multiple times, and Rachel has shown to be willing to do it without any real qualms. Mm -hmm. uh, so, they morph, the others morph uh, back into fleas and jump on. Uh, and they go and steal a plane. It's It's talked about how the two of them 
um, completely incapacitate an entire maintenance crew? Sure you did. Sounds sure. fake, but okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they incapacitate them, climb into the plane, and take off. <laughs> and it's it's roughly that quick in the text. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and uh, they they take off. Uh, Rachel hangs a lampshade on it. Says, "Well, that was lucky." Um, and they fly. Um, and you know, a little ways out, uh, ground control contacts them, uh, and is like, "Hey." The fuck are you doing? Uh, you what can't just take a plane wherever the fuck you want. Um, and acts, they don't reply, obviously. And then ground control is like, uh, whoever the fuck you are, you need to return to base immediately or else we're gonna shoot you down. And <laughs> the two of them are like, ah, I see they found the bodies. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <sighs> Let me tell oh, you. Oh, God. So team Scoop slash Scoop Troop, OG Scoop Troop. Diamond, Axe and Rachel mm-hmm. is a criminally underutilized duo. Yes, honestly, they were great. Yeah. Uh, the problem is that they're very dangerous when they're together because they play off of each other so well, and they do insane shit. Yep. Yes, that's yes, exactly. <laughs> oh no, the Ariel Dante. Oh, <laughs> the field. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, but yeah, um, they fly out and they realize that the thing that is at this location that was in the transmission is the aircraft carrier, the USS George Washington. Um, and its entire, uh, entourage of destroyers, missile cruisers, and frigates, um, and nuclear attack subs. You know, no big deal. <laughs> 